So uh, welcome to the Armchair Trader podcast. This week uh, we are talking about the shipping industry, specifically about uh, freight derivatives. Um, on the on the program today, we have John Cartsonas, who is founder and managing partner at Breakway Advisors. Breakwave is responsible for arguably the best performing ETF um, in the global ETF universe in the first half of this year, um, which has done spectacularly well and was up over 250% since the start of the year when I last looked at it. Uh, welcome to the show, John. Uh, firstly, I just wanted to see if you could give us a little bit more background on Breakwave Advisors, what you, what you guys do specifically. The, the idea behind it was that the shipping industry, which is, uh, uh, you know, one of the most important industries in the world, uh, if you think about the global economy, uh, was not really represented um, the way it should be in the global markets. And there is a, there are very valid reasons behind it, and we can discuss uh, a little bit more later. But um, so we started the company in 2017. Uh, it took us uh, about a year to put all the legal um, filings um, and face the regulators regarding uh, be dry. And um, in 2018, we basically launched um, the first and only uh, ETF in the world that follows the shipping industry. During during that time, obviously, uh, the idea of um, creating a product that will follow shipping rates rather than equities was kind of um, uh, quite uh, revolutionary, I would say. Um, it was very difficult to to structure and model a product like that. Uh, so it took us a little bit uh, longer than we expected. But uh, since um, early 2018, B-Dry is up and running. Um, it has been running for three years now. You know, I think that uh, as a product, uh, it has changed um, a lot the way that um, uh, people think about ETFs, um, especially when you think what BDRI owns and what BDRI tracks. So it has been a very exciting period, um, a lot of, uh, you know, a very steep learning curve and uh, a lot of new ideas and structure behind BDRI. But um, here we are with, uh, obviously, as I said, an ETF that uh, uh, today tracks the shipping industry, the dry bulk shipping industry, um, the closest it can be and uh, it bypasses basically a lot of the intermediaries and a lot of the noise that um, equities provide. And uh, this is, I mean, for people who are not familiar with ETFs or exchange-traded funds, they are funds that are listed on a stock exchange and trade like a share, uh, but they uh, typically uh, would be tracking a, an equity index. Um, so for, for, for you to come up with one that's actually tracking... The, the dry bulk market is is fairly revolutionary and is giving investors access to a market that previously was something that really sort of specialized hedge funds used to have access to, but it wasn't as easy to get exposure to it previously. Um, could you give us a little bit more background on on what shipping derivatives are and and how the how the ETF gets exposure to that market? You know, the last um, decade has been all about disruption and um, cutting off the intermediaries and get basically the average investor closer to, um, you know, any product that's out there. 
and I think that's what we try to do with um, with Be Dry. So talking a little bit about the freight futures market, and I don't want to go too technical here because um, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But uh, you know, as any other commodities market, there is a futures market for shipping. So if you want to take a view on where shipping rates are going, and basically a shipping rate is what uh, you pay. To, to transport uh, a certain um, a certain cargo from point A to point B. So there are you know thousands of routes around the world. There are like different cargos, but for for dry bulk, there are basically I would say three main categories of cargos. One is iron ore, which is the main um, steel making component. The second is coal, the old uh, coal that is used obviously for energy production for electricity production. And then you have grains, which is food, I'm talking about corn, talking about wheat, soybeans, and so on. So these are the three main cargo categories in dry bulk. And, you know, every day you have like, you know, tens of cargos being booked and shipped around the world. So if you are a shipper and you are concerned about what the future freight cost might be, uh, there is a market out there, a futures market that allows you to hedge this exposure. This is very similar to what's happening with, let's say, the oil markets, right? I mean, oil traders trade oil futures either to speculate or to hedge their their exposure. So this market, the, the called it the freight futures market, is a very uh, esoteric market. It's basically dominated by industry people, industry companies that are using that to hedge or even speculate on future the future level of freight rates. So for the average investor, this market was definitely out of reach. There is no screen you can trade freight futures. Uh, it, you know, obviously, is not available in any of the retail trading platforms. Not even the institutional platforms. Uh, and if you think about hedge funds, as you as you mentioned, very very few uh, have the ability to or the time, call it, or the you know the the appetite for risk to to trade this market. So we thought that that would be something interesting for all investors uh, and to bring it to a simple, um, easy to use platform as an exchange traded fund. And now everyone can basically buy from, you know, one share to like, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of shares, like you buy any other stock out there. And what the ETF, the exchange traded fund does then, they go and through a certain very specific uh, mechanism, they buy the underlying future. So instead of um, you know the investor having a futures account to trade futures, you basically trade as if you trade any other stock, and you have the same exposure um, in a much simple, uh, simpler product that, that you would have. Um, and this is basically the case on a lot of other ETFs, not only BitDry that does that, but BitDry obviously provides access to a market that is not available. Um, in any different platform, and as you say, it's been—it hasn't been something a lot of investors or traders have been aware of. But it, it is fundamentally one of the, you know, something that we all rely on at the end of the day. We all so, somewhat take for granted the fact that these ships travel around the world, and um, there is pricing for an individual ship. Um, that there is a cost to moving cargo, and effectively, that's what this this market is pricing. So the interesting thing then for us is what's happened now? What's different? I know we there's been a lot of talk in the market about supply chains 
and the disruption caused by the global pandemic and and how that has disrupted the the shipping market as well um can you can you explain a little bit about the the impact of the pandemic on the shipping market and and has that effectively caused um a price a price squeeze somewhere in 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 the futures market for shipping just to give you a you know a very general um, example of what shipping means for the global economy about 90 percent of what is transported around the world is transported by ship whether you're looking at the bulk commodities like i mentioned before coal and grains or um, electronics furniture clothes you know, of course, when you talk about um, oil and gasoline and jet fuel, all these things are transported by ship. Uh, so it's a very important part of the global economy. And I think what um, what is very interesting coming out of the pandemic is that initially you had a pause in the global economy. Let's say, you know, in the th in the second and third quarters of last year, as we know. Um, there was no real activity, economic activity. And that means that uh, transportation, like um, shipping, also saw a very, very slow uh, period. Coming out of the pandemic, and I think like everybody can see it from their own experiences, people are much more um, open to spend, to buy, to, to rebuild, to refurbish, um, to, you know, eat, you know go out and eat all these things in a, in a regular cycle they will happen gradually right so not everyone will come at the same time and decide to do something however coming out of a, such a major global event suddenly you have especially in the developed world uh, this urge to to spend and uh, when we talk about spending is not only about buying stuff it's about let's say the housing market you want to you know, build houses, you want to, um, you know, do a renovation, for example, in your house or buy furniture. Uh, the same goes with like, um, you know, food, going out to eat. The same goes with, uh, uh, you know, driving. You're talking about oil demand. So all of this is happening at the same time. And suddenly the world globally is short of a lot of goods that now you have to visit manufacture or ship from somewhere else. So. Uh, that urgency, I, I think, to spend and keep in mind that you have all this global stimulus that um, put a lot of liquidity into the market. Uh, so that's on top of basically the regular inventory cycle. Um, suddenly, everybody's looking for a ship to, to move goods. And especially on two categories, and this is the container ships. These are the ships that move um, the big boxes. And inside these boxes are a lot of consumer goods. Uh, and then dry bulk, this had a profound uh, impact on rates, on actually the freight cost. On the container shipping, rates are up tenfold. Uh, when, you know, for the full decade prior to that, they didn't move uh, much. I mean, they were up like 10 or 15% or down 10 or 15%. And suddenly you have a huge spike because there is not enough ships around the world. Uh, currently, overall there are, but even the demand surge, there is not there are not enough ships around the world to transport the goods that the developed world needs or you know has right now. So the same thing happened 
on dry bulk, and uh, as I said before, dry bulk is, is concerned with like iron ore and coal and grains, but these are basically the, uh, the ingredients that you need to produce the raw materials, like steel. Um, and obviously the energy, especially when it relates to China, um, to, you know, to either produce or, or power their industrial complexes. Uh, the same thing goes with food that for, for, you know, almost nine months, there was not a lot of inventory rebuilding, especially in terms of grains. So suddenly Asia is buying uh, grains left and right, trying to rebuild their inventories. And all of this is happening at the same time. On top of that, you have a lot of delays in ports. You did have a lot of issues with COVID-19 and, and um, the crew on board, the ships that caused a lot of delays. So the logistical chain is, um, it has been kind of a mess for the last six months. And whenever you have this type of events, the first thing that happens is pricing goes up. And obviously that uh, that's benefiting dry bulk. As you, as you mentioned at the beginning, B dry is up uh, something like 250% for the year. Um, and that reflects obviously the the increase in, in, in freight costs, right? That, that's what B dry tracks. So uh, it does make sense as you look backwards obviously if we're sitting here a year ago it was difficult to predict um, this type of uh, development because obviously you didn't know how the pandemic would progress and how the end will look like but um, um, yeah that's that's what's happening basically currently in shipping I guess from a conceptual point of view you know I remember thinking there's got to be disruption to the shipping industry because by its very nature the pandemic's going to do that um, but at that time it didn't occur to me that there could be a you know a product as simple as an ETF that would allow an investor to take a take a view on on that particular macroeconomic um, evolution. But going back to the actual you know, pandemic itself, has there been any any pressure on the dry bulk market that's been caused by periodic lockdowns? And and I've heard rumours in the market that ships are, are in the wrong place and. There's a, there's a kind of cost for moving a ship that's actually currently empty to a port some distance away where where it's required, and that that's also playing a role in in driving up the freight prices. Yeah, it's exactly what you're saying. I mean, the the cost that um, we're talking about is the cost of the consumer. Uh, that is a benefit to the shipping industry. Basically, if you don't have a ship or a ship is delayed in a certain port, and you have to transport your you're good, then you're going to look to find another ship and you will have to pay up for the ship to do the job. This is obviously a benefit to the shipping industry. It comes at the cost to the, to the consumer, uh, to the final end user. But keep in mind that in general, uh, freight cost or the cost of shipping something, especially on bulk size, has been between, I would say, you know, 10 and 30 percent of the value of the good, depending on what type of good you're moving. So, you know, the increases uh, look significant on the shipping side, but I think for the end user is not going to be um, as meaningful. At the same time, you obviously you had a, a significant rally in commodity prices. So I think the increase in commodity prices overshadowed the increase in um, on the shipping side, on the shipping cost. Uh, like, as I said, the most important commodity for dry bulk is iron ore. And iron ore has more than doubled in price in the last year. The price to transport iron ore 
uh, also has doubled, but as a percentage of the of the final delivered cost is still around like 15%. So it hasn't really changed much the equation there. Um, but again, you know, it, it is all about supply and demand. So if a ship is delayed and you need a ship, the demand is there, you don't have the supply. So in order to 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 make that happen, price is what's going to have to to move higher in order to you know for the equation to work and i think that's what uh, what is happening today we i mean we're seeing from our perspective we're seeing a lot of um commodity prices going up um it does look like we're in we're moving into another commodity super cycle do you see and, and this is not something that's going to go away you know we don't think this is going to go away anytime soon do you see that providing further momentum to shipping prices you know, this is like a very difficult um, thing to define a super cycle. I think like the previous, you know, the last super cycle or the only one that people mentioned would be the the mid to late 2000s uh, cycle in commodities. And that was driven purely by Chinese demand, Chinese demand uh, growth. And this time around, I don't think that you have the same ingredients for what's happening today in commodities. China indeed is um, is the most important player when it comes to the commodities market, and demand from there has been, you know, relatively strong. But I don't think that anyone can argue that this has been unusually strong. Um, it has been strong on a very short period of time as well. In the last six months, you had China basically buying a lot of commodities, but it's not so much related to the pandemic. If you were to break it down uh, sector by sector, you will see there are different drivers there. For example, take coal. Coal is obviously a very hated commodity, um, given all the green initiatives around the world. And coal has been um, in a steady decline for the last you know, four or five years in terms of demand. However, for China, it remains a very important um, commodity when it comes to power generation. Uh, as we speak, China is facing uh, energy shortages across the grid uh, for various reasons. One has been that their domestic coal production has been curtailed because of various accidents. They're trying also to um, to limit coal or you know the dirtiest of the coals in terms of like um, usage. So suddenly, uh, China is faced with like not only summer shortages in terms of power, but potentially winter shortages. And obviously that's a national security issue for China. So now they're going to go out, buy, they're going to go out there and buy coal because they need that. So that's not really um, COVID-19 related. Then you take like the, the grains issue, which China comes um, out of a significant uh, domestic issue with food. That, that came before the pandemic, and now they have to restock basically their inventories. So there are a lot of other drivers, I think, that contribute into what's happening in, in commodities. Obviously, you know, inflation is a is a very important driver when it comes to, to, to the commodity cycle. And I think like a lot of people are worried about that. Um, and maybe they're restocking ahead of a potential, you know, inflationary period over the next few years. Um, that's obviously a bigger macro related um, concept, which, you know, um, again, uh, who knows how, how, how the future will look like for in terms of inflation. But all of these drivers are very bullish, very positive for shipping because it touches shipping in a lot of different areas and it will potentially positively affect shipping 
the demand side of shipping for for a few years depending on where you are in the world in some parts of the world the the pandemic seems to be more under control than in other parts of the world how long do you see this sort of disruption or premium on on shipping prices continuing um i mean there's there's obviously talk from certain quarters of the shipping industry about suddenly building new ships and 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 creating more more fleets to meet this demand but you don't really build um, a brand new ship in in a matter of weeks so it strikes me therefore that if there are these pressures they're not exactly going to go away overnight do you do you have any view or opinion on on how long this will continue for so this is a very important um, point that you're raising here and you're absolutely right it takes about two years to build a new ship um, but there is another um, significant driver here when it comes to building new ships. The, obviously, the world is trying to, to change in terms of emissions control, right? Emissions reduction. Shipping contributes about 3% of the global CO2 emissions today. And the, there are certain um, uh, you know, efforts made to obviously reduce that uh, over the next decades to, to comply with the Paris Agreement. To that extent, the industry is pushing for changes in the technology of propulsion of ships. Like today, the ships, they burn uh, heavy, heavy, uh, heavy fuel, which is, um, you know, it, it's a significant pollutant. And they're trying now to find a new way, either with new fuels or by reducing the CO2 emissions on the existing fuels with technology in order to comply with, uh, with the regulations. If you're a ship owner, even if you see today a very strong market, you're not really sure what exactly the type of ship you, you want to build, right? Do you want to build a ship that burns um, you know, the heavy fuel and you're stuck with a ship for the next 20 years that might be obsolete um, by 2030? Do you want to put an engine that burns, let's say, um, ethanol or hydrogen, which doesn't exist anyway, even if you want to do that, there is no technology right now to do that. Or, you know, there, there are various other technologies out there, but nothing has been actually been the chosen one or none of these have been a proven one for shipping. So probably you, want, you don't want to build a ship that's going to be delivered two years from now with the old design, with the old engine that burns the heavy fuel, because again, there is a lot of push in the industry to change that. And that creates a very big hole in the order book that uh, even if there is an incentive, the economic incentive to build a new ship today, because the returns are significant, um, you don't want to take this risk because by the time the ship is delivered, the world might be totally different in terms of what uh, the regulations look like for shipping. And I think that comes to, as we said about the demand, I think the demand uh, for the next few years should be strong because of like the inflation and the commodity uh, cycle and so on. Now you come to the supply side of shipping and I think the supply side will also be very favorable for shipping, not only because it takes two years to build the ship, but no one wants to really put the order for the new ship because they don't know the fuel of the future. Um, and before this is settled, you won't see a significant uh, order book meaning ships on order uh, out there. Uh, once this is settled, uh, I expect if rates are where they are to have a rush of owners to build new ships because again, the returns are significant, but um, we're really far, far away from that scenario.
to, to go into things from a slightly more technical perspective, obviously, if you look at like a plain vanilla ETF, um, that that ETF is going to say track an index like the S and P five hundred, and a lot of passive ETFs track indexes published by a third party, usually um, you know, a, a an established um, or, or pre-designed index of stocks. Can you say a little bit about how you went about building the underlying um, for the ETF itself, what it actually in reality is is tracking? Absolutely. Um, and I understand um, very well that um, shipping is not the mainstream industry, let alone freight futures. And um, that obviously can confuse or complicate uh, investors with what uh, PDRI does. Again, it, it is different in terms of like what it tries to achieve. Be dry, uh, as you as you said, a lot of the ETFs track an index and provide investors with um, with the ability to invest in a specific theme or a specific group of stocks, and there are like thousands of these ETFs out there. Uh, Be dry. The purpose of Be dry is to provide access to investors in a new market. Um, the idea is not to track. Uh, any specific index or any specific, um, you know, uh, group of uh, stocks. Obviously, it's not it's not it's not a stock ETF, but it's a futures ETF. The main purpose is to provide easy access to the freight futures market. Now, of course, there is a very specific methodology and um, of what BDRI holds, what it buys, and how it rolls the futures contracts. Keep in mind that futures expire every month. So you have to always maintain exposure to the futures market. It's not like equities that you can buy a stock and hold it forever. So there is a very specific methodology, which is very well described in our in our prospectuses and our documents. But in in essence, uh, BDRI holds futures with an average duration of three months forward at any given time. So what um, an investor gets exposure to is three months forward futures and that's always has been consistent will always be the same and then it also has a mix of different sizes of shifts because ships come you know there are bigger ships and a little bit smaller ships ships that move iron ore and coal some other ships that move um, as i said grain so there are a lot of different ships it's not one category so we have a mix of these ships um, that we think better represents the overall uh, dry bulk market and uh, uh, all this is maintained um, and well described in our documents. And obviously, uh, the methodology that we have is to maintain this, uh, you know, the mix of ships and the mix of like duration on the futures contract. Um, so that's what uh, what is inside the dry and what the dry holds. You pick the dry bulk market partly, I guess, because of its importance as a shipping market. Do you think that there's scope in the future for other ETFs on other subsets of the shipping market as well? Obviously, we're looking at a lot of different opportunities all the time. And I think that the area that um, we have been focusing more lately is more on the, what I said before, the environmental changes that are coming into shipping. And, you know, some, some market uh, analysts have been talking about amounts close to four trillion dollars that are needed to basically change the global shipping industry there are about a hundred thousand ships today out there 
that will need to comply with the new environmental regulations over the next um, few decades. And uh, somebody has to provide the technology and the manufacturing and the new proportion um, uh, you know, methods and technologies in order for this to happen. Uh, so we think that um, this is going to be something very interesting. It touches the shipping, but also it touches the technology aspect of shipping. And obviously, there are other segments in, um, in shipping, like the oil tankers and the containers. It's a little bit more complicated there because the futures, they're, they're not really, uh, you know, uh, a liquid futures market in the container market. In the tanker market, it's a little bit more complicated. But, you know, again, what we want to do is basically provide investors with either difficult to access markets or add value through our knowledge and expertise in the shipping market. This is not about just putting a basket of stocks or a basket of futures together and just um, competing with um, the thousands of other ETFs there. It's to really add value to the product, either through our own research. Obviously, we do have a very strong team have been around the shipping for you know many decades uh, and we can provide real value. We do that with Bidry today. I mean, with Bidry is not only that we provide the ETF, we provide significant support on the research side. And we, we post almost daily commentaries about what's happening in the dry bulk market. We post research and so on. The same thing we wanna do basically on the environmental side of shipping and um, really you know help investors understand this industry, which I think in the US is definitely uh, an underinvested market. And the ETF is um, BDRY, I think, is the ticker, and it's listed on um, uh, New York Stock Exchange ARCA market. Yes. Do you do you have any plans to uh, list similar vehicles in on um, other sort of regional exchanges, say, for example, in Europe? For the exchange-traded funds, the, the U.S. market is the the deepest and the most liquid market. And um, I think that today, most investors have access to the US markets anyway. Maybe there is um, there is some barriers for uh, for retail investors to trade in the US, uh, US ETFs. Uh, for some reason, uh, I'm not sure why there is such a, you know, such a barrier to entry. If investors should be free to invest in any market they want and um, as long as they're regulated. Um, but for now, I think we're going to stick with the U.S. market. Uh, I do think that uh, actually Europe uh, is more knowledgeable in shipping than the U.S. Uh, for various reasons. Has always been, a, you know, the trade, the, the center of trade in the world. Uh, but um, on the other hand, I think uh, the U.S. market is underestimating the importance of shipping in the global in the global economy. And I think there is the opportunity here to actually grow and educate investors. On, on shipping, um, something that is not obviously a new technology or a new industry is definitely an old industry, but it remains a very, very important part of, um, of uh, the global economy. So uh, we wanna be you know, leaders in that sector and uh, educate and um, have a following on the shipping market. No, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly there. I've always been very interested in, in this market, um, particularly when I was covering hedge funds that were active in it. But it's great to see a, a product like this coming out that gives investors um, that easy access to the dynamics of it and, and also particularly um, doing so well in the first half of this year. It's been, it's been fantastic. Thank you very much indeed for coming on, on, on the show today. That's been really, really informative. 
No, thank you very much for having me and um, uh, hope that, uh, you know, we have uh, more products in the future to discuss. Brilliant. Thank you very much, John. You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. To get uh, up-to-date commentary on what's happening in the share markets, both in Europe and North America, and our views on some of the emerging investment stories in the small cap space, make sure you check out www.thearmchairtrader.com and sign up to our free daily newsletter.